Genesis. Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen. Hello, I am Scott Allen, and thanks to my daughter Kate for developing the intro to the Practical Wisdom for Leaders podcast, where we offer a smart, fast-paced discussion on all things leadership. My guests help us explore timely topics and incorporate practical tips to help you make a difference in how you lead and live. If you haven't done so, please click subscribe so you automatically, seamlessly stay in the know when we publish new episodes. Likewise, please provide me with feedback. What do you like? What do you dislike? And what else would you like to know? And now, today's show. Welcome to the episode. We are with Susan Murphy today. She is the Chair of Leadership Development at the University of Edinburgh. Uh, she's a professor and she's in the business school. And uh, Susan, when I when I think of you, I think of two words that come to mind for me. <laughs> adventure. Adventure, because you've gone on this adventure. You You moved from California to the UK probably, gosh, is it about five years ago? That's about 10 years ago now. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. 10 years ago. So you've been on this life adventure. And I think about lifespan. You were were really one of the first scholars that I came across. And I think we were actually at an ILA session. And you had given a presentation on leadership development across the lifespan. And I had really never thought of that as a topic. And so I kind of sat in the audience and my mind was blown. And so... I am really looking forward to this conversation today. And maybe maybe you can just fill in a couple of the blanks that I left out about you so our listeners yeah. have a sense of who you are. All right. So, yes, I have been in Scotland now. It's not, not quite 10 years, um, but it, but it's a while. And uh, it's been really interesting to, to move the family to a different culture. Even though we all speak English, we speak different English. I, you know, you'd no longer put on a sweater. You put on a jumper. And you no longer wear pants. You should wear them, but you're actually wearing trousers. So uh-huh. there's all these sorts of differences in culture. Um, but when I think about leadership across lifespan, I I think of a couple of different things. You know, when I was a kid, I was in 4-H, and part of 4-H is is about really building kind of future leaders, whether it's in farming or, or other kinds of things. And there's a lot of things that they did with us early on to kind of get us taking up you know, sort of leadership responsibilities where it was either communicating effectively, you know, taking care of your animals, keeping the records for your animals or things like that. And so they, you know, had this long history. It's not just like the Boy Scouts, the Girl Scouts, you know, Campfire Girls in terms of leadership. But when I was at Claremont McKenna at the Kravis Leadership Institute, we were asked by, it's one of those things, you know, when there's grant money, Southern California Edison had some grant money to help develop young leaders um, throughout, you know, uh, Southern California. And so we started kind of looking through what we had to develop um, our leadership in students at Claremont McKenna, and we started talking about leadership. And so here were these 15-year-olds, 14-year-olds coming to learn about leadership who already had quite extensive knowledge about what leaders should do, how they should act, how they use leadership, how they've seen better leadership. And that really started us on the path of kind of looking further back in terms of when does leadership really begin. Well, and I love that because... Yes, when I think of leadership development or leader development, yeah. uh, my my mind may be a little high school, and then I think collegiate context, and then I think, of course, corporate yeah. or or uh, adults. Yeah. 
And so the, this perspective, I think, is just wonderful because it's really looking at the totality of our existence in many ways. I mean, and, and I love that. So you you just co-authored a paper with uh, three others, and mm-hmm. I've received a an article in press version of this paper, and it's just mm-hmm. it's wonderful. And so maybe even help our, yeah. help take us through. You all start at preschool, which I think is awesome, and and you end in late adulthood. Would you be willing to take us through? Maybe we could start at preschool, and what are some things that we think about for individuals? Because you're exactly right, 4H. And actually, the Association of Leadership Educators really was founded out of a lot of the extension program at land-grant institutions in the United States. And a number of those people were involved in 4-H or Future Farmers of America. I became familiar with that. And so I I think that's wonderful. So preschool, tell us about... Well, so so that's really interesting. Back in, I think it's about 2009, uh, we held a conference at um, the Kravis Leadership Institute. We have the annual Kravis D Relay Conference, and we wanted to take this long lens look. And I don't even remember how we started getting people, but there was this one woman who's at a Columbia Teachers College, Susan Reckia, who who talked about these studies they were doing, kind of looking at kids and influence in preschool. And so, you know, maybe they hadn't started defining it as such, but they were talking about, you know, the kids on the playground who decide what everyone's going to play for the day or who's going to have what toys or, you know, and it's just, you know, you you kind of want to say, but you don't want to say, it's like, who are the kind of the bossy kids in the classroom who, you know, sort of take charge and they either emulate their teachers or they emulate their parents. And so that's where we started saying, those sort of, you know, as Drew and Cotton would talk about in their papers on this idea of taking and granting of leadership, because leadership really is a is a social sort of identity. You know, you can't really be a leader on your own. I mean, you could try, <laughs> but without followers, you know, it's not really good. So, so with the kids there, they're all sort of trying to take the leadership role. And then how is that leadership role granted? So, so she was just studying kind of some of the influence techniques, you know, kind of the old school sociometry in terms of who were the focal point children in the classroom. And, and, and part of it comes back to, you know, some early temperament kinds of things, you know, kids who are not shy, unfortunately, you know, but the kids who are more outgoing, who might have early verbal skills and things like that would be the ones you might see taking the, the leadership roles in, in preschool. And, you know, and those, and she even probably talked at that time, and we know Popper's work looks at the idea of secure attachment, you know, the kids who explore, you know, versus the kids who kind of are, are m- more uncertain about their environments and everything. So it sort of happens through play. It, it makes me think of my daughter. She actually did the intro yeah. for for this podcast. Yeah, you know, she, ever since I can remember, she has been the the young woman who gets on the playground and just tells the other kids what we're about to go and do. And it's Kate, yeah. it's Kate, yeah. it's Kate's world at that moment, and she is yeah. running around yeah. galvanizing people and just going. And that's yeah. been fascinating to observe. It really, really yeah. has. Well, and then and then you all are moving on into childhood, like six, six to twelve. So we have right now we have two ten-year-old girls and we have a twelve-year-old. So how mm-hmm. do you think about mm-hmm. this phase? So, so in that one there, I think you know, kids here. I think in the earlier stages, it, it could be a little less 
socially driven. Uh, and, and as they get into childhood, it's kind of more around peer group. So there's sort of sorting and everything. So I also have a 10-year-old and it's kind of fascinating to watch his classroom dynamics around kind of who who runs the show and, and, and everything. But, um, you know, kids at this point are getting um, a little more um, independence. So, you know, whether they're participating, we kind of have here in, in household chores, they may be interacting with siblings. They're really having more social interaction. And so we kind of call this externally driven. So, so people behave in their leadership roles, sort of, again, going back to Drew and Cotton, in terms of who's who's giving you the leadership role. Do you kind of, it, it maybe our prototypes start coming in and thinking about, does this person fit the role? And this is where, unfortunately, you know, you have some of the genetic stuff with around the tall kids, the talkative kids, that, you know, anybody who sort of stands out can be quite influential, but they are sort of, um, they're driven by who's giving them credit. Are the teachers turning to them? You know, maybe they're starting in sports at this point too. That goes a little more in adolescence. Yes. And I see that play out with my, my 12 year old on, and with athletic, it seems that, that if the coach is validating the player or if, if the individual child has skill, then that's a source of confidence and a source of visibility for that child in some ways as well. You know, another one I'm yeah. noticing, which is kind of interesting, because I don't know how, how it is with your 10-year-old, but we have we have gaming, and that becomes a little bit of a social outlet for them. And they have their headsets on, and they're, they're talking with their friends who are not in the same space as them, but they're almost working in virtual teams, whether that's in Fortnite and such. But that's even an interesting dynamic to watch play out as well. Yeah, yeah. And and kids today too is I mean I, I'm kind of wondering if this is going to propel them sort of ahead in in the leadership and and team space because you know there was that recent National Geographic article on Zoom fatigue being real. Uh and it, it is sort of this idea of you're you're working with less um social information or you know for social intelligence than you usually have to and it can become very taxing but for these kids it probably becomes quite normal. The other thing they do too is in addition to being online, they're also on their phones in FaceTime. Yes. So with so some of their friends, as they're playing the game, they're also talking on this other channel as well. So it's quite interesting how they, you know, do the do the leadership role, if you will, or do the cooperative learning in, on their teams. Ex- yeah. Exactly. Because so so where I am right now, I can hear my son sometimes. And and yeah. he's in the other room, and and they're they're working as a team. They're no 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 go here, yeah. no no do that. And I don't know the terminology, but it is. Yeah. It's really really interesting to watch play out. So then we get to adolescence. So this is this is twelve to eighteen year olds. Yeah. So so I want to I want to put a plug here too. Is I'm working on another paper with um, Nathan Eva and um, Kevin Lowe and Helen Sierra Sierra I think is her name. And we're talking about adolescent girls because we're saying sort of like, you know, at each of these stages, in addition to your leadership, you sort of have these developmental tasks as a, as a human, if you will. And so in adolescence, you're really kind of figuring out who you are and who you're not. 
And so to us, as adolescence becomes a really critical point for people deciding, am I going to take those leadership roles or is that not me? So two things kind of come into play here. It's both about them as an individual, but it's sort of about what they think leaders do. And, you know, having dealt with, we actually did leadership training for 12-year-olds at the local uh, middle school. And, and one of the kids once told me, oh, leaders are the people who lie. <laughs> I said, what? And they go, well, they've got so many things to balance. I can't tell the truth to everyone. So this kid didn't want to be a leader because they see leaders as a certain type of person. So there's a lot schools can do in kind of opening up what leadership looks like. And I feel like because we've kind of got these ideas of the leader as CEO who does a particular thing that we start kind of, what's the word, pruning the tree of leadership, as you well say, and just having kind of one single viewpoint. But at adolescence, if we could get more people thinking more broadly about leadership, broadly defined, I think it would be very, very useful. But again, kids here looking for who they are, who they aren't, lots of different interactions with peers to kind of try out new things, um, new relationships with their parents because their brains are changing and now they can kind of do more sort of hypothetical thinking, you know, scenario planning, if you will. Um, And then they start looking for role models. But quite quite an interesting time because if you think about, and this is what we've predicated this on in some of our other writings, is that when individuals come to a company or even come to college, people think that this is the first time they've had leadership development. When they've been thinking about, am I a leader? Am I not a leader? What kind of a leader am I? What kind of leaders do I like? Probably for all of their lives. So it is good to kind of look back and think about who were their role models then? You know, What were they hearing in terms of leadership messages? I, I make this, this joke, and I, I don't. you may have to cut this out. We'll see. So when I was a kid, my father was a contractor. So he built houses and he did all these other sorts of things. But every Saturday, if we'd go ride around the job sites with him, he would jump out of the truck and like start screaming at the framers or the roofers or the foundation people or whoever was building that day. And I always thought, oh, I guess that's what leaders need to do to kind of get people in line is you kind of have to kind of, you've got to be very directive. But what I didn't notice about that was it was sort of a script. He got out of the truck. He kind of ranted a rave. Then they all started joking. They probably eat some donuts, and then they talk about it. And then at the end, he sort of softly say, "Um, can you guys, I think you're going to be done by Wednesday. So, you know, it was much more nuanced by that. But that was kind of some of my first views of what, what leaders kind of did. You know, they were in charge. And kids can be very excited about that, too between uh, 12 and 18 years old. But, you know, you kind of have to catch some of the nuance. And that's why leader development at those ages can be so critical. Well, I like how you're framing that, because if if my daughters now, or my son now, understands that you don't have to have a title to lead, or that you don't mm-hmm. have to be the person in charge to influence others, yeah. or maybe yeah. I might even try and influence my teacher, or might influence the parents, or there's there's how they construct leadership, especially at this age, or sometimes it's, well, they're the loudest or they're the person who who is always yeah. talking. And so they're the person in charge. And so even helping them frame that there's different types of leaders, that not all leaders yep. have a title or a position. And that I, I think the framing of that, especially at that point, or even before then, maybe is yeah. critical because how many, how many young children 
maybe don't step up because they're not constructing the role in the right way. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense. And I, and I think too, is if you, if you look at the model kind of closely, I mean, you, we, <laughs> this became very difficult to draw because we're trying to talk about the stages, but we're trying to tell people at the, at the two things that we see kind of most important going on here are what we call the experience processing system and the leader self view system. So you can kind of think about, you know, to what degree in the experience processing. So, for example, you know, your your kid has a, a time when they were given a leadership role, maybe on a team or something like that. So, you know, what what does that mean to be the leader on the team? What did I just learn from that experience of that? And could I practice some of those things to do it a little bit better that time? So you can kind of imagine that in adolescence, that experience processing system is starting to kind of arise, but but it's not articulated, but it could be, like we said, you know, if, if there was a little bit more care given in terms of honing those skills. And then at the same time, what we call the leader self-view system, uh, I think that comes from David Day and, and Lisa Dragoni, is kind of our work in whether it's your identity around leadership, it's your motivation to lead, those kinds of constructs, it's your leader efficacy, do I feel very capable, am I self-aware? So it's kind of the self-system and the experience processing system that are kind of working together across each of these periods in the lifespan is, is what we've tried to, to articulate in the paper. Well, and I was with Kay Anders Erickson probably last week. Uh, we, we recorded yeah. a podcast and, and he, his work was all around deliberate practice. And if you have not, if you have not read Peak, which is, it was Erickson and Poole, and it came out mm-hmm. a few years ago. Maybe it was 2015 or 2016. But yeah. but the book Peak just fundamentally shifted how I think about leader development, leadership development. And and yeah. again, he it was his work that really helped kind of spawn the whole deliberate practice movement. But that was a really interesting conversation with him. And and yeah. I had some really fun insights about how to think about what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's quite kind of interesting. I have I have not read that book, but wasn't he the person cited in uh, the book "Talent Is Overrated"? Was that that Erickson? Because there was a person in there who was talking about, for example, the yeah, yeah, yeah. He's made his career studying the chess champions, and and so it sort of flies in the face of uh, people you know who are on the the genetics bandwagon. Mm-hmm. So you know, in, in this paper, we mentioned genetics. Uh, a little bit because there is sort of this genetic link between some genes, whether it's kind of dominance or some other things that then predict whether people are going to take on later leadership. But I sort of liken it to Olympic athletes. And maybe I got this from, you know, talent is overrated. You take Olympic athletes and they don't just come to the Olympics with no practice. No, (laughs) You know, they they don't, you know, sure, they might have the genes, they might have the mechanics in their build, but they still have to practice and they still have to, you know, leverage their skill sets. So you're going to have a whole different group of people coming into businesses is what I always argue. And maybe they don't have the leadership gene, or maybe they have the leadership gene, but they haven't, don't have the gene to kind of learn from the experiences they have and everything. But I always thought, you know, his piece about, I think it was these two girls, because there was always this idea that chess had to be boys and it was tied to some gene. And it was like, these girls became, you know, chess masters. And it, it was kind of interesting. Yeah. So that's, yeah. And so that's what we're trying to bring in too, is the practice, because the issue really is you can't select a genetically superior <laughs> 
group of leaders. That's not who you get at organizations. You get a whole range of people and you've got to say, how are we going to meet them where they are to give them experiences, like you say, and the deliberate practice they need to, to really become effective. Yes. And, and so Erickson was the, so in 1993, he wrote a paper. I'll send it to you and I'll put it in the show notes oh, okay, so, yeah. so people can, okay. can see it. And I'll also put peak yeah. in there, but you know, he was cited by the 10,000 hour rule. He was cited by Gladwell, who yeah. oversimplified, yeah. in my mind, yeah, yeah, yeah. very much oversimplified what deliberate practice is. It's not, you can't just put me on a golf course and have me play for 10,000 hours and yeah. I become, yeah. you know, world class. It's, it's four primary ingredients, but then in the book, he really talks about 11. And so it's, it's time, rep, yeah. repetition, real time coaching and feedback. And working on skills outside of your current ability level. So if we want to create a world-class cellist, well, it's probably 20 years. And it's four to five hours a day, repetition, real-time coaching and feedback, and consistently working on skills outside of your current ability level. Surgeon, same gig, right? And that's mm-hmm. that's kind of what's mm-hmm. happening when we when we train a cardiac surgeon. They're going through that process. And so his work, his work really did shift kind of how I think about but but I love the fact that you had included that in in this paper. And so then we get into emerging adulthood. And that's at least that's the space I think that, at least in my mind, we're most familiar with, whether or not it's incredibly yeah. successful always. I don't know. But mm-hmm. but that's the space where we most identify leader development. Would you agree? Yeah. Yes, I, I think so. And, and I think to tell you the truth, living in Europe. There's not much in the space of college and university leadership development at all. It's it's probably where the U.S. was. Let's see, what was twenty years ago? Uh, twenty twenty five years ago, probably where the U.S. was in terms of college leadership. It's just brand new. So so that's in, interesting as well because I I always wonder how the U.S. You know, people, the leader development specialists in companies sort of incorporate what people are learning in, at university to bring to to the workplace. Whereas here, it might be the first place that people people are getting some of that. And and I think in some ways, you know, leadership really changing. And you know, I, I don't want to talk about COVID, but there was just I was reading something from about a year and a half ago that Microsoft, interestingly enough had put about around um, some of that research that said that 80% of our work now is done in teams. So even before before COVID, we, you know, we are only doing, you know, quite a bit of teamwork. And now we're doing remote teamwork. And so, you know, what does that really mean for for leadership, you know, and our leadership development in this emerging adulthood? And I, and I think, you know, we had this little bit of research, and, and I don't cite it in there, that was looking at um, implicit leadership theories, you know, the kind of the the prototypes that people have about leadership, like whether they're dominant, whether they're tyrannical, whether they're nurturing and all of those kinds of things. And one of the things we noticed in this data set of about a thousand people was young people have very stereotyped views of what leaders do still. And so whether that comes from, you know, movies, um, press about Elon Musk or, you know, whatever it is, they do have kind of those quite stereotypes. So as much as you can get people into leadership development, I think that really helps them, you know, see leadership a little bit differently. Um, but yeah, the emerging adulthood, it's going to be, I, I also have students kind of another kind of trend I've seen is students who say, do I really have to become a leader? <laughs> well, it's, uh, you know, what's interesting right now is, so in Ohio, you'd mentioned COVID-19. In Ohio, 
when you look at the governor, who by many, many accounts has done a nice measured job of helping protect his constituents and our the d- director of Department of Health, Dr. Amy Acton, has done a nice job of helping protect our citizens. But but the price they pay for doing so, at least on Twitter, which can be a mm-hmm. cesspool, as you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. It, it is an interesting topic that I've been reflecting on. Why would someone want to subject themselves to some of that? You really have to have an incredible passion for the work or be very narcissistic and want to be in control. (laughs) But because it's, and I don't know, I shouldn't say now more than ever. I don't know what Mm -hmm. what the past looked like, but it certainly Mm -hmm. has amplified some of those other Mm -hmm. voices that Mm -hmm. it, it can be toxic, right? Yeah. Yeah. I always wonder about people like that if they just if they just don't look at some of that stuff because I think it it is. You kind of have to do you know, when you're balancing the value of things, you know, when people become so polarized and you have to balance that value, you're always going to make 50% or 40% angry with you. So so what what can you do? But that you know, that probably comes in too, you know, as as people kind of move out of that young adult phase and you know, we ended at 30 which you know, I think that, you know, some people still at 35 might be considered in that adult age. I was just talking to a woman just a couple of days ago and she's about 35. And she started talking about within the last year, how purpose and values around her leadership really make a difference to her now. She says, you know, I just kind of did what the company told me to do, what I thought I needed to do as a leader. And she goes, and it started at, you know, at this age now sort of not making sense. And so she started looking a little bit more at that purpose. And I think those leaders, I think if you have that purpose and you know in your heart, you know, what you're doing is right from whatever value set you're leading from, I think it becomes easier to say, Thanks, Twitter, for that. Yes, yeah. You know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stand by my principles and follow through and do what I think is correct. And well, let's talk yeah. about middle adulthood because that's really. I mean, of course, some. This is not everybody, but probably the majority. This is the phase where people are in more formal leadership roles. Those who choose to yeah. take on the management role, those who t- choose to take yeah. on. And so what's always interesting is I'm, I'm oftentimes sitting with MBAs who are between 20 and 30, a good faction of which don't yet have a leadership role. And, mm-hmm. and, and at times then when I am with individuals who have that leadership role, it's a totally different conversation. And so this is yeah. that phase where they're practicing and they're actually experiencing leadership in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. It may even be an emerging adulthood. I mean, again, it it feels like a decision piece where people decide, is this going to be me or not? And as I started to say again about the people who say, well, isn't there other ways you can move up in an organization? You know, because they're looking for more pay or more prestige. And I go, there is. But I said, you know, the idea is if you're good at what you do, you want to share that technical expertise with with a good team of people. So, so I would say in the emerging adulthood, I mean, it is very much, you know, are they going to take those roles or not take those roles and kind of really deciding what that next thing looks like. But you're right. In in the in the middle adulthood, you know, that's where the leader development programs are trying to enhance some of this. And it, it's interesting because the NHS here. Uh, they've moved into kind of new leadership development and they call it leader development 2.0. And they really have taken on these ideas of identity, leader identity, leader purpose, 
um, authenticity, you know, all of that sort of stuff now that really is like, a, it's almost like the honing of your craft of leadership in this purpose driven, you know, so either you've taken it on full, fully, um, or you're, you're still sitting on the fence maybe a bit about it, but that's kind of where we think that purpose comes in. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. and one thing I love that you've included in middle adulthood is marriage and parenthood. Yes. I, I don't know. I, it may have been an article by Barbara Kellerman, or it could have been Keegan, but there was a there was a book that maybe it was Kellerman who who edited the book. But one of the and this must have been in the eighties. But it was a, it, it really focused on parenting as and it could have been Keegan parenting as a leadership role. I haven't seen a lot written in this space, but you know, as I think about what my wife and I uh, were partners in mm-hmm. in helping lead our our team, which is our family of of five of us especially during some of these challenging times right now, I really do view us as a team and I, and I do view our roles as leading them through this challenging phase. I mean, it's just, it's so even probably, probably even five weeks ago when this first started, when we knew we were going to be sheltering in place, quote unquote, we wrote six values up on our, our chalkboard in our kitchen. And it was, How, how many children do you have again? We have three. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> so we wrote six values and they're 10 and 12. So they still put up with yeah. us a little bit, but, yeah. but we wrote these six values, you know, it was, it was move your body, eat healthy. And then we added a yeah. seventh after about three days, it was work the problem, which means figure yes. it out. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, but I, I would love to have a conversation with someone. Maybe we'll have that conversation. I don't know, yeah. but I mean, it's, it's, we're leading. Yeah. I, it's funny because, you know, when we also did uh, that work with the, with the 12 year olds at the middle school, one of the things that they talked about was um, their moms were the leaders that they saw and they would explain it because, you know, it keeps everybody moving in the right direction. Everybody's safe. They know what they need to do. They have the responsibilities, you know, and some of these came from like single parent homes. And so they really did have to rely on their, their mom exclusively in that. But yeah, that, that is funny that you're talking about it. Uh, I think a lot of people have felt like they've kind of gone back into their families as, as sort of this thing. You know, we didn't have a list like you did, but we absolutely talked about kind of the priorities, which was like kind of eating healthy, getting some exercise, working together as a team. We we even as kind of a group decided maybe the things like two months ago that we would have maybe had a, a, a row about were just like, no. You know, we're either going to bring it out or we're not going to because we're going to try to be our best selves because we're kind of stuck here and everything. But it is it is a leadership sort of team and people have roles and responsibilities. But, yeah, it's it's important at these times. But, yeah, kids kids learn a lot about what leadership is, I think, at that point uh, for sure. Oh, yeah. Communication, negotiation, influence. I mean. Yeah. team yeah. there's there's if if you approach the role of parent with that mindset that it's a leadership opportunity and we're essentially yeah. kind of creating a team you know yeah. that's that's doing the dishes that's everyone cleaning yeah. the house yeah. that's all of yeah. us kind of making this thing work and so tell us a little bit about late adulthood this is this is past 60 years yeah you know so so we were kind of looking at that kind of thinking about how you know, we've got people working so much longer than usual. Uh, and so 
I think at some point at 60, people might be retiring or 65, but, you know, they're going to be probably around in the workplace until they're about 70. So it's kind of like taking the lessons that they've learned and, and making those relevant. And at the same time, though, allowing them to kind of expand and extend their leadership. So, you know, it's like, I don't see a lot of people giving up right now. I see them jumping on Zoom meetings and having the efficacy to do that. But But I think that legacy making is about, you know, what was my leadership all about? So it's taking the purpose and going even further and saying, what can I do kind of for the next generation? So it's kind of like er- the other Erickson, Eric Erickson. I'm talking about that, re- what do you call it? Regenerative? Generative. So passing things back to the f- previous generation could be, but yeah. Yeah. Sharing their yeah. wisdom. Share, I did a, I did yeah. a podcast with Susan Komovez a couple of days ago and, yeah. and she said, well, would you like me to talk on? And she gave me a list of seven things that she could speak to. Yeah. Speak to. And I said, I only want the totality of your wisdom, Susan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. And so, and it was a wonderful conversation. Yeah. And I think, I think companies should be making spaces for some of this because they think a lot of times as people get a little bit older in organizations, they can, they can be pushed in different directions if they're not in big leadership roles. I mean, because a lot of times that is your big leadership role at 60, your CEO or something. But in other organizations, those people can kind of feel pushed aside and, you know, what can we be learning from them? I always end these podcasts with a little bit of a speed round. And so Okay, I have, yeah, I have okay. three questions for you. Okay, they're, sure. They're very, okay. very important question. Okay. So, so what are you streaming right now? I was speaking of, I was watching Defending Jacob on Apple, which is is kind of which is kind of depressing, but it shows a family kind of rallying around a, a child who's kind of in trouble and everything like that. So that's been the, the, I already got through Friends over the Christmas break, so I you know I I have to pick something else anyway. <laughs> oh, that's great. So Defending Jacob. And are, yeah, any podcasts yeah. that you love right now? Um, I'm not listening to any podcasts right now. Unfortunately, one of the things the kids and I do for entertainment is go deep into the YouTube depths of soundboard prank calling of IT scammers. It's things <laughs> like it's things like that where where they get their justice because the scammers are being pranked and everything. So we're on kind of a a justice patrol. All I, right. I have not heard of that, but I will have to check it out. We've we've been exploring other YouTube. We've been spiraling on YouTube and other yeah. ways. My my son right now is watching TV news bloopers. So I will I will yeah. stumble yeah. in upon yeah. that sometimes, which is yeah. hilarious. Anything you're reading? Well, I'm go- I'm going to start reading Peak. Um, I did make a goal of reading more fiction this year, so I've read like you know is it where the crawdads sing and I'm reading kind of something else about sent something. I listen to books mostly because it's a way to rest my eyes mm. from kind of days of writing and things like that. Are you going to ask me about music? Sure. What do you got? I'm obsessed with Harry Styles. Oh, Harry Styles of One Direction fame yes. has a new a new album out, kind of the end of December. He is such an old soul. It's kind of a little bit of Fleetwood Mac mixed with you know other things. So anytime I can plug Harry Styles, I'm I'm there. Well, and and you're in the right country for that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, British, British. Yeah. So anyway, well, Susan, I I really have enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. And I know that our listeners, it's going to broaden their perspective. And and again, when I think about you, I think of adventure and your adventurous soul of going across across the Atlantic and taking on a new a new adventure. And then also just your work that really helps us think about 
the, the lifespan as it relates to leadership yeah. development. So thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Right. Be well and take care. All right. All right. Thank you. Similar to how Kathy Allen had really stretched my thinking in the second episode of Phrenesis, you know, my conversation with Susan Murphy really expanded my thinking as well. And I think there's just so much opportunity in this space. There really, truly is. We have an opportunity to shape the mindsets of our youth, to help them move past some of the norms and ways of thinking, uh, maybe that leaders have to have a title, or that leaders are liars, or that leaders are men or boys, or that leaders are loud, forceful, extroverted. And we have an opportunity to really build some archetypes and provide our young men and women with examples that can change their lives fundamentally. My daughter just for school developed a diorama. And in that diorama, she had a picture of her as the president of the United States at 10 years old. If she's constructing in her mind that she could be president someday, I believe that's transformational. I don't know that that was a norm 30 years ago. 40 years ago. My mind is also going back to some previous conversations I've had in this podcast. You know, Susan said something kind of interesting that she feels that maybe the UK or Europe are where we were in the United States 20, 25 years ago when it comes to developing leaders at that collegiate level. And I think that's potentially provides them with some opportunity. They could leapfrog and really learn from some of where maybe we haven't hit the mark. Dave Rush in episode one said, I have a fear. I have a fear that maybe what we're doing isn't making a difference. I believe in the UK and elsewhere, there's an opportunity to build that in to the system from the very, very beginning. I also think there's an opportunity to really build what John Worgen in episode three called deep learning. And do we provide learning contexts that really, truly facilitate deep learning to occur? And finally, I think about my conversation with Susan Comavez. We have an opportunity to really scaffold some content and a curriculum at many different developmental levels and stages, whether that's two years old to 65, 70, 75, 80 years old. And for me... That's an incredible opportunity to do some incredible work to truly make a difference in the lives of men and women. As always, thanks for checking in. I appreciate it. I hope you're well and take care. You have been listening to the Practical Wisdom for Leaders podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share it with others and let them know what we're up to. And one last quick reminder to click subscribe so you know when we publish new episodes. And of course, we'd love to hear your feedback. You can stay in touch with me by visiting www.scottjallen.net or any number of social media platforms. Be well, be safe, and make a difference wherever you are on this beautiful planet. And now, here's Kate's twin sister, Emily, with the outro. You've been listening to Phronesis, Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen.